All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for even the joy that we can have during announcements. I pray for more of that living water this week. I pray that you would open up our hearts to you during this time, that you'd give us fertile soil and give us minds to comprehend your word, that you'd give us eyes to see, feet that wants to run towards obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So I really like the theme that's being created this morning because one of the scriptures that we're going to get to in chapter 20 today is paraphrasing. Paul says, my life means nothing to me except to run the race that Jesus has put before me. My life means nothing to me except that. And if we were to think about what our lives mean to us right now, in this very moment, is that the sole purpose for your life? To only care about the things that God has put in your life. Now look, you're not Paul, and I'm not Paul. But what we also cannot say is Paul was special. And Paul was a deity. And that Paul was, had a different spirit than you and I. Paul didn't. Paul doesn't. If you're a born-again believer... If you've accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you have the same spirit that Paul had. Now here's the thing. Maybe the one difference about Paul than the typical Christian population is that Paul was willing to say yes to God more than he wasn't. I think that's the difference. Paul just said yes. He didn't like things. He didn't like the way life came about. He was beat up. He was put in jail. But Jesus was his prize. What is your prize today? Is your prize retirement? Is your prize getting your way? Is your prize getting a promotion? Is your prize having a full church? Is your prize people liking you? Is your prize having a happy marriage ever after? What is your prize? What I realize, even through a morning like uh, we've had just the past half an hour, is I have to continually refocus my life on Jesus because my prize within itself is always turning to the things that I want. Always. And that's why Scripture says you must pick up your cross and die daily. Is your prize Jesus? Nevertheless, what we're getting ready to get into is Paul is getting ready to share his last words and his last, some of his last moments with the church of Ephesus. So what he does is, um, let me just read the scripture and then we'll go from there. We're going to look at verse 36 first in Acts chapter 20. Here we go. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept, and they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. That's the end of this chapter. I'll ask you this question today. If, you're, if you were to die today, anyone outside of your immediate friends and family members that you see, or even just immediate family, how many people would truly be grieved and sorrowful? Now look, we can get caught up in emotions, we can be sad. But what I'm asking you, I guess, is are you living such a life with the people that God has placed you around that they would be sad if they never saw you again? Have you loved them so well? Have you poured so much of your life into them? Have you given up whatever came your way for them for their success? And what Paul's getting ready, or what, why we look at this scripture first is this. As Paul says, or what they say is, what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. So Paul is saying, I'm not going to see you again. I don't know necessarily what's coming my way. It's not going to be good. And when someone says, this is the last time that I'm ever going to talk to you, you probably want to listen, don't you? I think of Pastor Linden's last sermon here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. I think it would be silly if we didn't listen to that. If we just came in here as normal Sunday and said, what's he going to say? Oh, I don't really care. No. Pastor Linden, being Pastor Linden, he just kept on with his series. But we learn about who he is as a man in his value. We learn about what, what the Bible meant to him because it just wasn't, let me go give you a hurrah. He said, nope, I'm going to continue in the series that I'm in. I'm going to expositorily preach it, and I'm going to leave you with some good news. We learn about him that way. Paul's telling this church, listen, I'm never going to see you. So today we're going to turn into that. We're going to listen to what he's going to share with us. So Paul's getting ready to encourage some leaders from Ephesus. But what ends up happening is he realizes because of all the people that loved him there and all the people that he loved, that if he ended up going back to Ephesus, that he'd never get out of there. He still wanted to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, so he felt this pressure that, hey, I need to get there, but if I go talk to all these people, I'm never getting out of here. How many of y'all have ever been like that at Walmart? Come on. You, you see a brother or sister, and you're like, if I talk to them, I'm never getting home. So you're like, I'm going to pick up milk tomorrow. <laughs> Come on. How many of y'all did it this week when you saw me? <laughs> I'm like, why do I never see the church at Walmart? <laughs> that kind of looks like stew. <laughs> Whatever. I see how y'all are. Nevertheless, so what Paul does 
is instead of, instead of going into Ephesus, what, what he does is he stays about 20 miles south at Miletus. And what he does is he sends for some of the leaders of the church. So some of the elders, different elders of different groups. And he says, hey, why don't you guys come to me so I can share my last words with you as I'm on my way to Jerusalem. So that's what he does. And that's where we find ourselves today. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. And what I want to tell you is this, is one of the things that, or many of the things that we're going to learn today, is the way that you live matters. The way that you live as a Christian matters. It's just not a free-for-all. So there will be 10 points, and it sounds like a lot, but last week we learned I get to preach however long I want. So... um, If you weren't here last week, go listen to that message. Four hours long. Kidding. So uh, we're going to learn some principles that are important for us as believers to live into. Verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia... I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance And have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Doesn't sound necessarily fun. Nevertheless, Paul's example of living a godly life. I think you should write these down. These are qualities that our church leaders must possess. But I'd also take it um, a step further and say these are qualities that Christians must possess. These qualities that I'm going to bring up out of the scripture are qualities you and I need to add to our life. Point number one. My life should testify of God. You know how I lived. See, Paul didn't just preach the word, but he was visibly doing ministry. He said, you know how I lived. You have observed me. You see it. It wasn't just on Sunday morning raising, raising your hands. There was someone in the church, I have no clue who it was, and this is not about me, so please hear it appropriately. I'm not Paul. I'm a sinner. I think when Paul said that he was the worst of all sinners, he didn't know me yet. So there should be a time to stamp on that. Someone from the church nominated me for Pastor Appreciation Month for Shine FM. 
I'm like, oh, cool. That's nice. And then this is one of the things that they said. They said, I saw Pastor Joey at Meyer and Springfield having a Bible study with 15 guys. Your life, your life, wherever you are, should point to Jesus. People shouldn't just see you living for Jesus on Sunday mornings. So you know what that means is how you interact with people at work. How you interact with people at ball games. What you post on your Facebook. That matters. And you know one of the things is it also matters when guys groups are with guys and guys want to share guy jokes, right? They're the lamest thing ever. Like dad jokes. They're just dumb. And then you got girls wanting to tell the girl jokes really perfectly in their girl group. So I'm sure you just have them printed out and you're reading word by word, right? And that's the joke within itself. <laughs> Macy's like, boy, you better quit stereotyping. <laughs> what it means is wherever we are, our lives need to point to Jesus. Amen? You know how I lived. What do people observe about you? When is the last time people saw you intentionally pursuing Jesus outside of church? Point number two. I must serve the Lord. So in the scripture that, that we read, he said, I served the Lord. Paul served Jesus Paul served God. Paul didn't serve himself. Paul didn't serve people. Paul didn't serve false gods. He served Jesus, and Jesus sent him to people. We have to be willing to serve Jesus as Lord each day. So I must serve the Lord, not the world. Number three, with great humility, right? I must possess great humility. In young Christians, not just reflective of age, more of their spiritual new birth, whatever, there tends to be a head-swelling period, right? Who's been there? Who's had that period? You become a new Christian and you're just like, I have all the right answers. Get that pastor off the stage. I know what's good. I know this. I'm the healer. I'm the deliverer. I can do it. I have passion. I, 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 I. That's not what Paul had. Paul served with great humility understanding where he's come from. Sure, God uses people, um, young Christians, and then their head gets bigger, and then their heart gets smaller. I never want my head to be bigger than my heart, and I never want my head to think I know Jesus more than my heart surrendered to him. As a church, we must be willing to serve him with great humility. And that means confessing when wrong, saying you're sorry when you need to be. 
And, and now look, I want you to also hear this context of this message, not out of you becoming a revivalist, you becoming Billy Graham, you becoming Paul himself. I want you to hear this message for your neighbor that you're sitting right next to or the person that you're going home to. Amen? What good is it? God gives more, more, more. God gives more to those. God gives more to those who do well with little. So if you're not going to love your wife well, if you're not going to love your kids well, if you're not going to lead your family into a Bible study well, why is he ever going to give you more? Start with the people right next to you with great humility. 3 John 1.9 says this, I wrote to the church, but Deoph, um, sorry, Deoph, Deotrephes, sorry, who loves to be first will not welcome us. So I wrote to the church, but dude who loves to be first didn't want us there. Didn't care to respond. Pride. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about him. How many of you guys have ever worked with someone who just make it all about themselves? Their way or the highway. Come on now. Now how about this? How many of y'all are sitting next to someone who it's their way or the highway? And if I were sitting next to Macy, she would be doing this behind my back. You don't like those people. They're hard to be around. We must never become that person with all the answers as we're trying to minister to people around us by whom we love. Or if we want to be effective within our Christians who are atheist or agnostic or have uh, other questions, we have to approach them with humility, not having all the right answers. And what we've seen with Paul thus far is everywhere he's gone, there's been people of weird beliefs. And what I've read thus far is everywhere he's went, he's went with humility. He hasn't told him how great he was. He's always pointed to Jesus. Ministry is not about being first. Ministry is not about a platform. Ministry is not about getting 3,000 people to watch your video on Facebook. 10,000 people to watch your video on that's not ministry. Ministry, living a life for Jesus, is actually about the last becoming first and the first becoming last. That's humility. Humility is you saying, I prefer the person next to me more than I prefer myself. I'm willing to lay down my life for the needs of the person next to me. That's humility. How, how can we have 10 coats at home, see a homeless dude on the street, go talk to the homeless dude as he's shivering and he's got snot frozen in his beard, and then say, I'll pray for you. You got five coats at home. Why do you need all those? Humility's... Humility puts the other person first. 
Humility lays down their life. And that even comes with preferences. That comes with opinions. Humility says, God, I have problems, so I can't expect them to be perfect either. Right? Amen? We must be people who are humble. <laughs> what about this? Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Humility is lived out through someone who's willing to lose their life. I don't want to lose my life some days. I don't. That's between God and I and, of course, the church and people who keep me accountable. But sometimes it's nice to be able to buy a cup of coffee. And I'm not saying that God's asking me to give all my money away. But what is God asking me to give away? Humility would say, whatever it is, I must be willing to give it up. And this is the example out of the text that Paul is presenting to us. Paul didn't need to be the center of attention. Paul didn't judge others. He didn't crave leadership in a weird way. And we've all ran into those people who thrive on that. Paul wasn't any of that. He considered God and others and was willing to admit his shortcomings. Paul admitted his shortcomings, didn't he? He said, I'm the worst of all the sinners. If you truly want to live for God, quit hiding stuff. I think we said that in the men's group yesterday. If you truly want to live for God, quit hiding stuff. Because if the things that you're hiding in your life means that you want to keep it. What does a dog do with its bone? Hides the bone. Why does the dog hide the bone? Because it doesn't want the other dogs or the raccoon named Larry up the street who's always in the trash to come find it. If you want to live a humble life before God, guess what you need to do? You need to quit hiding stuff. Because the more you keep on hiding stuff, the more you're going to keep on doing it. The more you're going to keep on going back to it. Live a life exposed before God, and that's humility. You're, you keep on wondering why you can't take this next step, and you can't take the next step because Scripture also says confess to God to be forgiven. Confess to man to be healed. So if you want to be healed, guess what you better do? You better confess to man. Now, please don't um, stand up today and start spilling your dirty laundry because I guarantee you our hearts are not in the right place to see people the same way that God would. And, 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 and that's a problem within the church. I, I have to, the elders have to steward hard subjects in a direction that God asks us to steward them. And not every one of us in here can ever do that, and I don't do it perfect. Unfortunately, no one here at the church, so don't hear this. Unfortunately, the other day I was telling Macy, Macy, there's someone in my life that I can't forgive and I'm frustrated. I can't do it. I need to, and I just can't. I'm confessing to her so that I can be healed. And I pray for that person whenever they come up, and I ask that, that God would help them. Confession heals the heart. 
Macy, Macy can forgive me if I sin against her, but she can't forgive me. She can't forgive my sin to get me to heaven, right? Only God can. So I confess that sin to God. And then I confess to someone else so that I can live healthy. Don't hide anymore. Ask God this week to reveal to you some people that you can get some stuff off your chest, right? Every one of us in here has something. We all have secrets. I'm telling you the next level of relationship with Jesus is to find someone that you can get that stuff off your chest. Amen? Please do it. Number four, I will have tears and be tested. So in the scripture, it said, with tears and in the midst of severe testing. What do you expect the Christian life to be? What do you expect life to be? Who has ever lived a full and abundant life other than Jesus? We just Macy and I watched the Aaron Hernandez trials. Had all the money, had anything he ever wanted. He was crazy. You guys know about Robin Williams. Hello! Mrs. Doubtfire, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody! That's kind of like a joke Bob and I always do. Hello! Does Bob look like Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> <laughs> no, they said no. The verdict is no. <laughs> All right. Either way, we can still have fun while we're uh, preaching the word. So, um, Robin Williams had everything and he took his life. Quit thinking that once you get past the season or the thing, or once you check off, that your life is going to be better. There's nothing that you can achieve that's going to bring you peace other than an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We will face trials of many kinds in this life. And tears will come and we will be tested. It's going to happen. We must be enduring through trials that come through people as well. Paul said, it's not up there, but Paul said, through the Jewish people who plotted against me. Not every trial is just a trial that comes by circumstances of getting older or losing a loved one or losing a job. There are going to be vicious people who plot against you to make your life miserable. And we have to long suffer through it. Doesn't that suck? But why, God? The church and church land is messy, and church people are going to disappoint you, and church people are going to offend you. But what I learned, what I learned very quickly in marriage is if, if I check out, I miss out on what God wants to bring me. There's, my life is so much richer because of storms and challenging seasons that Macy and I have faced. I know Jesus way more intimately because of those things, and Macy does as well. That if I would have checked out on that marriage because things got tough, I would be less of a man today, and Macy would be less of a woman of God today as well. 
Likewise, when it comes to church, I'm never going to intentionally offend any of you. But I'm sure there's things that I say that do. And you know what? I'm sure you're never going to intentionally offend me. But guess what? You do. Come on, you got to laugh a little bit. I'm mad that he said that he's offended at me. What did I do? We're going to offend one another. But here's the thing. If I dip out on that process, I believe that the church is missing out on a big plan that God has for them. That there's this character and there's these things that he's building within us as a culture and as a community that we need to wrestle through disagreements and frustrations. Amen? But church people will offend you. We must possess the ability to love people through their mess. It creates in us godly character. When people sin against us, it has the ability to conform us to the image of Christ based upon the way that we respond. Your enemy equips you to live a more godly life. Therefore, I thank my enemy for equipping me in a way that my friend couldn't. So when you face pushback from people, know that it's a requirement to be tested. It is a requirement to be tested. So don't give up. Maybe many of you guys have heard the analogy of the $5 bar of steel. Any of you guys ever heard that analogy? You got a $5 bar of steel. Within itself, it's worth $5. But then you get these creative people, and they're like, you know what? Let's chuck that, let's bend that bar of steel, cut it in half and bend it and make it look like a horseshoe. And then we're going to throw it around that tree over there. And here's a scoring system. So you create horseshoes out of that bar of steel. Now guess what? The $5 bar of steel just turned into a $20 bar of steel. And how did it happen? Through heat, through hammering, through pressure. Well, you take that same $5 bar of steel and then you have medical equipment. You get knives and, I don't even know, scalpel. <laughs> don't you guys, do you guys ever do that around the house? Just like, scalpel me, Macy. <laughs> What's this, what scalpel are you referring to? The pen, woman, how did you not know? <laughs> scalpel me. <laughs> you don't want to live with me, I tell you what. <laughs> You're like, I know. I get enough of you <laughs> the four hours you preach every Sunday. So, uh, so then you get $350 worth of made-up medical equipment that you can play with around the house from the $5 bar of steel. You take that same bar of steel and you make little springs out of it, right? That go into pins. Guess how much money? $250,000. How did you get the springs? Through heating, through pressure, through beating, through suffering, through heating again, through molding, through beating, the very thing we are talking about this morning. Godly value comes to us as we're willing to go through the storm, as we're willing to get back up again or let Jesus pick us back up again through the storm, through the tears and through the testing. Point being, you get most of your value 
when you're willing to go through things that bring pressure. Number five, I should be eager to share. Paul says this, I have not hesitated to preach. I have not hesitated to preach anything. So we must not, or we must be eager to share God's good. Publicly and intimately, to Jews and to Gentiles, to believers and to unbelievers, there's got to be a message in my bones. I would hate this, that if I can talk Buckeye sports, but if that's the only thing that I know how to talk about, I have to say I might not be who I say I am. If that's the only thing on the dime that I can talk about, I might not know Jesus the way that my heart convinced me of. Paul was willing and eager to share publicly and um, intimately to the church and to the unchurched. Paul went regularly uh, to church meetings and he shared in homes. And maybe you say you'll never be a teacher. That's fine. I'm not asking you to be a teacher. I'm not asking you to be Paul. I'm asking you to love Jesus so much to be willing to share about him whenever, however, if ever. With your kids each day. With your spouse each day. And I know many of you guys do that. But I do encourage you to attend, attend church regularly. If you're not a preacher, if you're not a teacher, fine. Attend church regularly. Share in a home with other believers. Tears were shed at the end of this chapter because Paul was willing to commit to love this group of people. Simply being in the same room as someone doesn't cause you to love them. But willing to lay your day down or your night down or your hours down will. If we as a church want to take the next step or if you as an individual want to take the next step, I believe that we need to begin to meet regularly. We need to get to know each other better. We have to. I've been harping on that since New Year's. You have something good. Ryan, you got something good that this church needs to learn about. Whether you believe it or not, I mean this. You have a gift that this side of the church needs to discover. There's people in this church that need to be encouraged by your life. We have to meet together because, Ryan, you have something for us. And I'm not calling Ryan out because he doesn't do it. I'm calling Ryan out because he was right there and I looked at him. And I mean what I say, Ryan, you have a gift. You have a gift that the church needs to discover. But if we keep on isolating ourselves and not regularly meeting, then we're missing it. We can never be as full as a community without that. So stop waiting. Paul regularly met with the church and the unchurched. Find a small group. Ask to join a small group. Share the word, learn the word. Number six, I will declare repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what my life needs to declare. 
the scripture said, uh, turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our message must point to Jesus Christ alone and repentance of our sin. That's what we declare out of our lips. Jesus is Lord and omission of sin. And we need to repent of our sin. Number seven, I must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit or I must have sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And this comes in verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. And next week we get to talk about how... um, Paul was warned about things that were going to happen to him. And some people think that Paul was rebellious, which they're actually wrong because he ended up going there anyways. Nevertheless, we must be sensitive to the Spirit. The word compelled is the Greek word deo. Well, I'm probably saying it wrong, I'm sorry. Deo or deo. Um, It means bound, fastened with chains, fastened together. Paul was willing to hold firm to where the Spirit was sending him. He was chained to it. There was no changing his mind with what God told him. Now here's the thing. We have to be really careful when we hear God's voice because guess what? We convince ourselves that we're hearing God's voice when we're only hearing our opinion and then we hold fast to that and then everyone suffers. And what we learned a couple weeks ago is Paul had advisors that would keep him from going to certain places, right? So hearing the Spirit is also just not always through yourself. It's through a team of people. That's how we hear it. We hear it first through His Word and then through people, the church. But Paul, not knowing what will happen to him, was willing to be sensitive to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit warns him that at every city he faces prison and hardship, yet in the midst of that, he was willing to press in and trust God. I'm going to Jerusalem. I want that to be a declaration for my life. I'm going to Jerusalem. Not because I'm physically going to Jerusalem, but I trust God's leading in my life. Do you trust God's leading in your life? Are you sensitive to his spirit in such a way that you say, I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what it means. Because every time God gives me a word for someone in public, I have to make that declaration because it scares me. But God, I'm going to Jerusalem. God, I'm going to Jerusalem. I see that as our war cry. I see that as a coaching tool. That we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit in such a way that we're going to places into the unknown. What Paul is saying is, I trust God. So when Paul call, uh, so sorry. So when God calls you to talk to someone, give up something, or face a hard time, what do we do? God, I will still do your will because I'm going to Jerusalem. God's vision for our life doesn't keep us from hardship, but
but his vision does promise intimacy with him. Leaders must prioritize walking in the presence of God so that they can be sensitive to his voice. Number eight, we must be, we must trust God into the unknown. Not knowing what will happen to me there. How many of you know what's going to happen after church? How many of you know that the thing that you're worried about is actually going to come to fruition? How many know what next week brings? What 20 years from now bring? Paul was headed to Jerusalem not knowing what would happen there. I believe that Christians always... um, I don't think we do a very good job living into the unknown. We're called to live into the unknown. But what does scripture say? We live by faith, not by sight. That's what Paul's doing. He's living it out. We live by faith. So faith into the unknown, the storm that is coming our way, the tsunami, the earthquake, the loss, the fears, as Christians, we're called to trust God and walk into it. That stinks. Because you know what many, much of this generation does? Is when it comes to the unknown, guess what we do? We got the tsunami coming. So we rally our friends and we start declaring and we start decreeing and we start prophesying and we start naming and we start claiming that the wave would go away. And then guess what? When the wave doesn't go away, we tuck our our tail and we go find our own boat. When what Jesus wanted was, I want you to go that direction. Will you trust me into the unknown and go there? And then what you might realize is, as we learned in Exodus, sometimes when you're backed up against the corner, God opens up the water for you. Trust him. Be patient. I, if, if, my back, if my back was against the wall, I think there'd be a tendency to like go play for Michigan or something. My worst fear. Urbana University asks me to play football for them, but Michigan offers me a Division I scholarship. What am I going to do? Of course I'm going to play for Michigan. God asks us to go straight through, not knowing what will happen. Hebrews 11, 8 says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive at his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Even though you don't know where your life is going, you need to follow God. Isn't that crazy? Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he left. Do you trust God in that way today? Do you trust God if if he asks you to sell everything? Do you trust God if he says to go talk to your neighbor? Do you trust God if he asks you to go say you're sorry to someone? Abraham didn't know where he was going. And even if we want to talk about Abraham, let's think about Abraham, who then was willing to sacrifice his only son. 
following God, trusting God. Abraham, not knowing if he's going to have his son the next day, trekked him up a mountain. And then I don't think you can say it unless you say, and then God provided, right? God provided. We must be willing to trust him in the unknown. We often say we have plans for the future. We have to know what's next. We, we must wait for the perfect moment. We must plan out everything. What good is it to plan for the future if that planning keeps you from saying yes to God? Your breakthrough doesn't come from what you can plan. Your breakthrough comes by saying yes to God. What good is retirement if you lose your soul? We must trust God into the unknown. Amen? We're wrapping up. We're getting there. Number nine, we must not be afraid of storms. This comes from Acts 20, 23. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Storms. He says, I only know. The only thing that I know is that in every city, hardship and storms and people in prison are raging against me. That's all that I know. If that's all that you knew about Jesus, would you still follow him? No. I ain't about that life. I want to, we can follow Jesus because he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. There, there's a greater hope than just the sufferings. There's, there's a greater hope through the sufferings. But Acts 14, says this, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Hardships await us. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Paul knew that hard things were coming, but his sole aim was the prize of Jesus. You will have a hardship or hardships in this life. But our goal is not to avoid them, but our goal is to trust God through them. And I'm finally through Job, through the Bible reading challenge. And I, I was just tired of it, so I even read ahead a few days. I got to get out of this mess. Job faced a long season of suffering. We must be willing to face hardship. It will hurt, but our prize is not everything going our way. Our prize is knowing that Jesus loves us and that we can trust him. If we're going to be a church of people who make an impact, we're going to have to move sometimes not knowing where God is leading us. Amen? We, we just have to trust him. And the final point, verse 24 This is important. This challenges me. I think it should challenge you. We should consider our life nothing. 
you must first possess a humble spirit to consider your life nothing too, right? What do you mean my life is nothing? I've been a part of the Lions Club. I finished seventh in the county commissioner and I didn't even run. I had two write-in names. I was JV captain for two years and that was after being on the freshman team twice. I'm a fifth-year senior at West Liberty. They gray-shirted me. Your life means nothing. Nothing. Without Jesus, apart from Jesus, your life is nothing. Irrelevant. My life, so it's just not me saying your life, my life, apart from Jesus, is nothing. Apart from Jesus, God should have never have created me. I have nothing to give. Nothing. So, whatever I want to add to my life is nothing. Retirement, shoes, clothes, cars, house, friends, Facebook friends, money, people's perception of me, hair, Whatever I want to add to my life means we must be on a delay today. <laughs> Ten second delay, right? Next time I'll say here. Your life means nothing. And I keep on trying to find my happiness and what I want my life to be rather than who Jesus is in me. Right? Now, I'm not saying walk around unhappy, walk around sad, walk around woe is me, but what I am saying is this. You're not taking your retirement with you. We're not taking Buckeye National Championships with us. We're not taking freshman team captain twice with us. We're not taking any of our accolades with us except Jesus is king and Jesus loves me and he's my savior. That's it. And that's what Paul says. This is what he says. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Paul's encouraging the church. Paul's sharing through the way that he lived that the only task that mattered to him was living for the thing that God called him to. It don't matter if the Browns ever win a Super Bowl. I'm a Lions fan. It doesn't matter if the Lions ever win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter if people think I'm cool or mean or arrogant or whatever. What matters is that I say yes to God. What matters in your life the only thing that matters in your life is if you say yes to God. Will you say yes to God today? And your yes to God isn't in the big dream because too many people never move anywhere because they believe the lie that saying yes to God is about doing something rather than being something and being something actually causes you to do something and the thing that you do isn't a big event or travel across the world. The thing that you do is to stop today and love God. That's what God's calling you to. 
So we can't have a Christian church that, that's never pro- uh, moving forward, being propelled forward to say, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, you're not going to find what you're supposed to do with your life thinking about what you're going to do with your life. You're going to find what you're supposed to do with your life when you prioritize each day setting God far above everything else and reading the Word and setting time aside for Him and honoring Him And there's too many people that have wasted their whole life asking God the question, what I'm supposed to do with my life, rather than just intimately walking with him today. And if they wake up tomorrow, intimately walking with him that day. My aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. Me. And God has given you a task. Paul then shares his task. And he says, His task was testifying the good news of God's grace. That's what he did. Our goal is not to do what Jesus, sorry, our goal is to do what Jesus has created us for and nothing else. Nothing. Not a nice house, not a happy family, not big toys, not living vicariously through our kids' sports. I'll probably do that one day when we have kids. There's no doubt about it. And God will teach me, right? How about this? Daniel had a question on Facebook. He said, can we live for God and have the American dream? Well, the scripture answers that question. Right here, Daniel, here's your answer. No, you cannot. The scripture's clear. Paul says this, my life was worth nothing. Nothing else mattered. My only aim was to complete the task that God put before me. Our aim is not the American dream. Our aim is Jesus. The things on your list that you put on there meant nothing to Paul. He only wanted to serve God. And God was the only thing that mattered. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, help us do that. Open up our hearts. Father, I pray that you would bring revival to this community and all of our communities. Help us, help us take these words seriously this week, Father. May we go back and read the scriptures. May we go back and look at uh, the notes, Father. May you please become the one and only in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.